0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host,
1: Mike Adams. Hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us, we appreciate it. Hope you are safe and well. Wow, we have a busy show today. Lots to talk about. Those damaging storms that moved across the Midwest, especially uh, through Iowa and into uh, Northern Illinois, the, uh, the pictures I've been looking at on uh, on social media just uh, heartbreaking. I've talked with some Iowa farmers about what they're seeing and uh, what they are doing to try to not only get around their own place, but uh, going out and trying to help others get around as well, trying to clear brush off of roads and, uh, and assessing the damage to crops, to buildings. There's so much uh, damage widespread and we will be talking with a couple of Iowa farmers on the program today to get the the assessment of what they're seeing around them in their areas and uh, it's just it's just heartbreaking you just wonder what else is going to happen here in the year of 2020. Uh, We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson and get his thoughts on uh, uh, on this storm the uniqueness of it the the the, uh, impact of it and just kind of what brought these conditions together and uh, how rare is a storm like that. Uh, We'll be talking with Bryce about that a little later in the program. Also, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, will join us. We'll talk about uh, beef and pork exports, uh, how they're being impacted by the worldwide pandemic. And we'll also get another report from the Sturgis Bike Rally. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association. He's there promoting ethanol and we'll get a report from Sturgis later in the program. But let's start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Wow, what a what a late afternoon and night uh, for a lot of folks in Iowa and parts of Illinois as that storm moved through. Just terrible damage that we're seeing reports on.
2: Yeah, Mike, it was quite astounding. You know, we were on the very western edge of this thing uh, here in eastern Nebraska, uh, where I live in Lincoln. We had wind gusts of 50 miles an hour and above. But uh, once that storm hit Iowa, uh, you could just see the devastation. I mean, Twitter just basically blew up with photos of of crops uh, laying flat. Grain bins absolutely smashed. Um, You know, at this time of the year, it's not uncommon for severe weather. Uh, you know, we see tornadoes pop up. We've we've had lots of devastation from tornadoes over the years. But uh, this Derrico, uh, with its straight-line winds and the fact that it lasted so long, I mean, covering three to four states, uh, was really quite interesting. I, I have never in my life seen anything like this. And uh, it really comes at a rough time. You know, we're getting at a point where harvest is going to be approaching, um, you know, we're expected some some very large crops this year, and we have a lot of places, especially across Iowa, where uh, we've lost millions of bushels of grain storage uh, as a result of this. So it's uh, we're going to see how this plays out. We hope that a lot of these people can get rebuilt before the harvest gets here, and we'll uh, just kind of cross our fingers.
1: Yeah, a double whammy. Uh, crop damage, so you don't know how much you're going to have. If you do have the crop, you may not have any place to store it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, from all accounts, I mean, Iowa seems to have been hit the hardest. Um, you know, a lot of what we saw, uh, you know, we're talking fairly large co-ops where we're uh, some of these bins have just been smashed. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk, too, about what, uh, you know, steel tariffs and all those other things, how that may play into any kind of a rebuild. Um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, as we go through here in the next several weeks, uh, we're going to see if the possibility of rebuilding is even even remote at this point. Um, I guess it's just something that you know we obviously never expect any of this, but you hope the people that provide the equipment and the, and the, what farmers need you know have some answers.
1: Yeah, going to be a lot of uh, damage assessment going on for the next several days. Meanwhile, now we have a situation. We have CFAP payments that are going out more slowly than a lot of people think they should. You've got congress stalemated on trying to come up with new assistance and now on top of all that we may need some more disaster assistance
2: yeah it's it's quite astounding um you know the 16 billion that was approved prior uh you know the reports that we've seen and the farm bureau has come out with analysis and uh it looks like we're quite a bit short uh, in terms of the, the payouts from the 16 billion uh one estimate i saw was we're, we're about you know we're about another 10 billion to go on that and then uh, when you look what's going on in Congress, uh, you know, there's another potential for $20 billion of payouts to farmers, and that's kind of stalled at the moment. Um, in some respects, maybe that's not a bad thing, considering we have these billions of dollars just sitting there uh, where the producers aren't aware of what they can access um, or whether the system's just slow at this point. It's really not quite clear. And I think, uh, you know, it's good. You're right. Um, as the damage is assessed in Iowa and across the Corn Belt from this latest storm, Uh, it's quite conceivable that we're going to have to see some more federal assistance coming down the road. And, uh, you know, the money's out there to be had, and I think uh, it's just a matter of figuring out why things aren't getting where they need to go.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of questions to be answered there, but we know that any type of... uh assistance as far as maybe some kind of disaster assistance now from uh the the storm this week we know how those things go that if there is any disaster assistance provided for this it could be next year or later before they'd see it
2: yeah absolutely and you're right you know in an election year that we're in right now it's uh it's quite amazing that we're even able to get to the table on covid relief honestly um you know these things are always highly politically charged and i think uh Unfortunately, you're right. I, I think this is probably, if we do see disaster assistance, it's going to happen after the election.
1: Uh, meanwhile, uh, we we watch uh, to see what's going to happen with uh, China, of course, and they're, they've been making purchases, not as much as uh, some would like to see, but they they are still buying, which makes you wonder what's going on in China, uh, They taking advantage of the lower price, obviously, but uh, some a lot of reports now saying they're trying to get that livestock industry of theirs rebuilt, and uh, how much more will they buy? That's the big question.
2: Yeah, it really is, Mike, and, uh, you know, it's quite interesting. China's moved on to an entirely different phase after this virus. Um, you know, by all accounts, they seem to have recovered, and, and uh, you know, as here in the United States, as we've been struggling with this, Uh, You know, there's been plenty of reports that China was actually quite accelerating its economy and and building back a lot of things that it had lost. And, uh, yeah, I think as we go on through the rest of the year, it's going to be it's going to be quite interesting to watch whether China can get even near anywhere near the the promised uh, purchases of ag products. And obviously, uh, that doesn't appear that it's going to happen. But yet, you know, crazier things have happened.
1: Yeah, who knows in this year, for sure. Todd, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon.
2: All right. Thank you, Mike.
1: All right. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Again, coming up later in the program, we're going to talk with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson about that the weather system that moved through with those storms uh, last night. And we're also going to be talking with a couple of Iowa farmers about the damage on their farms and what they're seeing in their areas as they're out assessing damage today. Up next, though, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. How are our pork and beef exports going and how much are they being impacted by COVID-19? We'll get the latest coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, Back to Mike Adams.
1: We've been checking in each month with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, looking at the uh, meat export numbers. And Dan joins us again today. Dan, thank you for being with us. Let's kind of break it down, beef and pork. Let's go with beef. How do our beef export numbers look?
3: Uh, Good morning, Mike, and thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, uh, June uh, numbers were down again on beef, um, similar to what we saw in May. Uh, down a little over 30%. And, you know, honestly, we expected uh, that we would be down in June. Uh, It's probably down a little further than what we had hoped. But the good news, and and this dates back to the uh, supply chain disruptions uh, back in uh, March and April, but I think the good news here is that the weekly data that we're looking at uh, for the month of July and into early August here, uh, has a lot of positive indicators for a rebound. So I think what you're going to see is uh, the timing is such that we'll see an uptick uh, significantly across most markets in
1: July. Which markets for beef have been impacted the most by COVID-19?
3: Well, um, I think in the sense of the supply chain disruptions with the plants in March and April, we're seeing... You know, our larger markets are being impacted. Uh, You know, Japan, Korea, Mexico, we're all down uh, significantly uh, in both both May and June. Uh, And I think, you know, the Mexico situation is one that, uh, you know, they're still locked down in in Latin America. So, you know, food service for the most part is still uh, uh, only takeout. Um, You know, so, so like I said, the last time we met, uh, it's probably going to be take us the rest of the summer to get through and start to see some of the food service open up in Latin America. That being said, in Asia, most of the food service uh, in places like Korea and Vietnam and Taiwan, uh, China as well, food service is pretty well reopened and on the path to recovery. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but mm-hmm. the real driver on these numbers is the supply chain. And, and like I said, uh, it's looking much more positive for July.
1: What about on the pork side?
3: well the pork side continues to be strong um, we were down 3% um you know in in uh, june uh, but still at 207,000 tons um you know a very uh, strong month uh, it's it's lower than it's been but that's seasonally normal uh in in the summer months uh, the the leader though of course is continues to be china uh, at 75,000 tons In the month of June, that is the lowest month since October last fall. But still, it's about 80 percent growth year on year. So for the month of June, still pretty respectable. But, uh, you know, I think um, I think the China business will continue uh, for the balance of the year. But uh, our real focus here, and this is true on both beef and pork, is, uh, you know, in in times of uh, crisis, so to speak, around COVID-19, it just emphasizes the importance of our strategy uh, the industry strategy and that is to diversify to as many markets as we can and uh, you know the big players you know korea japan mexico uh, china in a case of pork uh they're very important markets and will continue to be but we're focused on you know s- you know really developing some of these emerging regions in central america places like uh, guatemala panama south america Colombia, peru chile Uh, And even Africa, um, you know, Angola, South Africa, Gabon, uh, these are all small individually, but you add them up and they're significant and growing very quickly. So, you know, this is really something that we're focused on uh, for both the short and medium
1: term. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, Dan, let's let's as we compare to year ago levels, let's look at volume versus value. Uh, what about the the value of the exports so far? How does that compare?
3: Well, uh, looking at year to date, uh, we, we are on the beef side uh, through June, we're down ten percent in value. Uh, But on the pork side, we're up about 30% in value. So uh, the pork continues to uh, perform and perform very well. Uh, But I do think that uh, as you look at the last six six months of this year, uh, we're still optimistic on not only pork, but beef as well. Beef will come back. Uh, We're starting to see it in parts of Asia where food service is reopening. You know, we, we made a lot of penetration on the retail side, as you would expect, but now with food service reopening that's an opportunity for beef because uh, especially in asia where we're reopening on the on the restaurant side you know beef uh, u.s beef is the marquee item in a lot of the food service so i think that's going to bode well for us the last six months of the year the other thing to remember is from a supply side we have an advantage and uh, uh australia our biggest competitor globally uh, in an international marketplace uh, uh, You know, is down significantly on their numbers. Their forecast for the last half of this year on production is down significantly between 10 and 20 percent. So, we are well positioned to fill some of that void as well. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, the numbers are going to look much better than they do now. Uh, And hopefully, we have some growth year on year for beef as well as we look at the end of the year.
1: I was going to ask you about our competitors. Uh, you mentioned Australia with beef, and i was thinking about Europe and pork. Uh, how is uh, COVID impacting our competitors?
3: Well, yeah, it's uh, it's not specific, of course, to the U.S. Uh, globally, we're we are uh, a lot of us are in the same boat, of course. Um, the one advantage, of course, we have in the U.S. is that. We're we're really the premier supplier of high quality grain fed beef. In the case of the beef side, most of our competition around the world is grass fed. So therein lays a significant built in advantage. And uh, um, we're not only competing on the basis of price; we're 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 better equipped to uh, compete on the basis of quality. So that's a distinct advantage over our global competitors on the beef side. As far as it relates to pork, our, our premier competitor there. Uh, is, is Europe, as you mentioned, but also uh, Mexico and Canada, um, you know, and, and I think uh, therein, uh, you know, we have a distinct uh, advantage there as well, because we have record supplies of pork uh, in the U.S. currently, so we have a supply advantage there as well, and, uh, and I think we're well positioned to take advantage of it. We have been taking advantage of it, the case in point being being our business to China year to date. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, as we look at the last half of this year, uh, there's a lot of uh, reasons to think that once we get beyond this COVID impact in Latin America, uh, the last part of this year could be very good.
1: Obviously, all markets are important, but uh, you mentioned this earlier, but that Central American market uh, it really figures to be a key market.
3: Yeah, Central America uh, – You know, we have the CAFTA agreement, so we have a trade agreement in place that makes us very competitive from a market access standpoint and a tariff standpoint. Um, But really, uh, you're starting to see some emerging economies down there. Guatemala stands out. uh, uh, El Salvador stands out. Panama stands out. And uh, you're seeing an increasing middle class, uh, more spending power, um, you know, at the moment, things are tough there with the tourism shut down and food service struggling, but that's a short term thing. They'll come out of it. And I think you'll see some this fall, we're going to see some rebound out of there. And you know, what happens when you come out of these COVID lockdowns, like we saw in the U S people want to get out. They want to, they want to enjoy some uh, high quality, uh, dining and there's no better products than U S beef and pork to fill that void
1: so it sounds like you feel and of course we don't know what's going to happen with the virus but hopefully it continues we can get it going down and eventually get to a vaccine but uh, you sound optimistic for strong sales the last half of the year
3: yeah i, I am mike and, and you know i think the one thing we've learned there's two things we've learned from this whole covid thing that we've been dealing with internationally since january in china um, Number one is that you got to be flexible and fluid. I mean, every day seems to be a new discussion point as it relates to COVID, and it's a very moving, fluid picture. But that being said, the the other thing we've learned is that people are still eating. Um, Now, they may not be eating in the same place as they were before. Maybe they're eating at home more and the retail demand is up, but um, we're adjusting accordingly. The industry is adjusting accordingly. And the good news is, people are still consuming uh, food in general, but protein in particular. And and globally, uh, you know, we're we're hoping to get not only our share, but more than our share of that demand.
1: All right, Dan, thanks for the report. We'll talk again next month and get the latest numbers at that time. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. All right, take care, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, coming up next, we're going to. Focus on the storms that moved through the Midwest uh, last night and uh, the damage that's uh, being uh, left in its wake. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk with a couple of Iowa farmers, talk about damage on their farms. I did check in with Matt Youngman, uh, Events Manager for Farm Progress. I asked about the Farm Progress Show site in uh, Boone, Iowa. I said, uh, any damage there? And he said, well, they lost a display bin And the corn's leaning a bit, but he says he thinks overall they're okay there. We'll find out about some other areas of Iowa, and when we come back, stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: All right, let's uh, talk about the storms that uh, hit the Midwest yesterday. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson is with us. Bryce, where did they start and how far did they go?
4: Mike, the storms began uh, initially as a thunderstorm uh, group, uh, a cluster of thunderstorms in eastern South Dakota and uh, northeastern Nebraska overnight Sunday and then into early Monday. Then during the daytime Monday, that uh, storm area uh, continued east into northwestern Iowa, picked up momentum as uh, we got into a hotter part of the day with uh, some some uh, very uh, powerful uh, air mass contrast to kind of fuel the, the uh, type of uh, outflow boundaries from the storms that we saw. Uh, there was a frontal boundary that uh, just kind of flattened out from Iowa east all the way to Indiana, and these storms then picked up momentum, continued uh, for most of the daytime hours on Monday all the way from the Missouri River between Nebraska and Iowa east to uh, northeastern Indiana. So a, a west to east uh, length of about uh, 600 miles or so. And then uh, there was a corridor of that uh, very uh, damaging wind uh, system. That ran from about Waterloo, Iowa, at the kind of the northern edge of the high winds, uh, south to Indianapolis. So that's an area of about 400 miles. So it was a huge swath of the Midwest that got hit. Uh, the collection of these storm, uh, these uh, very uh, high winds, uh, combines to, uh, to justify the description of this event as a dare ratio. Very strong straight-line winds, speeds of more than 100 miles an hour, up to 100, a little bit more, uh, causing uh, extensive damage uh, where they hit to uh, crops, to grain storage, landscapes, buildings, uh, extensive power outages, and uh, an event that uh, is going to, I think, uh, be a a real big impact on conditions as we continue on through the rest of the season over this area that sustained that kind of damage. Sure
1: will. How how rare or how unique is an event of this size?
4: Well, when I think when I think of rare, I think of something that you don't see uh, you know once in more than about twenty years or so. Um, the thing is that uh, this particular type of storm has been um, a, a feature that has hit in the uh, interior U.S. Uh, several times over the past uh, ten to twenty years. Uh, back in, uh, I believe, uh, in 2011, uh, there was a strong uh, deratio straight-line wind system that cut a big swath across uh, much of uh, north-central Iowa. I think a couple years ago, we had uh, this type of system uh, occur in Indiana and then make its way into part of Ohio during, again, the month of August. And uh, let's see, about uh, nine, eight years ago, in 2012, uh, there was a, a real powerful uh, straight-line wind system that hit from uh, about West Virginia eastward uh, into Maryland and the Washington D.C. area that uh, caused a, a lot of uh, damage to power lines and and buildings and, and uh, trees and so forth. So these types of uh, of systems uh, have been, I think, uh, occurring you know, every few years, and uh, when they do, they, they can cause uh, terrific damage in a very short span of time, because remember, the speed that these winds had uh, matched uh, hurricane force, and so that's the type of impact, uh, the type of uh, sustained strength that they had when they moved across.
1: All right, Bryce, thanks uh, for giving us uh, a look at these things and putting it in perspective for us as far as you're right. Uh, Unfortunately, we're seeing these uh, uh, all too often, it seems like now, uh, throughout the Midwest. Thanks, Bryce. You're welcome, Mike. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, let's go to Iowa and uh, get some reports on the storm damage. Joining us now is Travis Miller, who farms near Perry, Iowa. Travis, thanks for joining us. Uh, Kind of give us a description of what you're seeing now that you're out and about and assessing what's what's in your area. I know you've been out last night as well as this morning. What's it look like?
5: Uh, Looks pretty rough, quite honestly. Uh, A lot of devastation, the crops uh grain storage tore up everywhere you know you're looking at hundreds of thousands of bushels of grain storage that's flat on the ground um i've been out assessing some corn that's been down and um some hail that went through and we've got 100 percent green snapping areas you know this this storm for us ranged from highway 30 all the way down to about 80 uh, interstate 80 which stretched 30 to 40 miles and um It's devastating. There's a lot of people that have lost uh, their whole crop to this, and and we're looking at a nice, quick harvest coming up, and it looks like it's going to drag out for a while for us.
1: Um, Damage as far as, you said, the structures uh, and the crops, and uh, I would imagine debris on the roads. Are you having trouble clearing those, or or are they getting cleared now?
5: They they are getting cleared. You can... uh, go around and see the, um, uh, you know, power's starting to be restored and, and, uh, debris moved semis that were tipped over in this windstorm on, uh, highway 169 are, are being, uh, removed, uh, just across from our, uh, egg retail business, um, is a gas station. And there was a hog trailer that literally got, uh, turned into a 90 degree angle around a, uh, uh fuel pump. So it's just, uh, just, unbelievable what's what this went through I, you know bryce mentioned hurricane winds and uh, i think i think we all got to experience that
1: all right so on the crops that you've looked at so far um is there any hope or any chance that uh some of that corn is is just leaning and could come back up or is it is it broken off yeah
5: So it it, it honestly varies. I think we've got some situations where we've got 90% green snap in a lot of fields, and then we've got some other fields that, uh, you know, 10% green snap, and it's it's been over and leaning quite a bit. Um, It's going to be a challenging harvest, especially on the corn side. I think the soybeans will probably make it through it uh, fairly well, Um, but that 40-mile stretch the corn's really taking a hit it's it's tough um you know uh we were in some of these areas we were looking at 200 plus bushel yields up to the 220 level even with some dry weather that we were experiencing and you know we'll probably be lucky to get 170 bushel out of some of these fields if we can get it picked up off the ground we were right there in the milk stage you know a very important part of this corn crops development and with this stress put on it, and my agronomic opinion, it's going to be pretty rough on some yields, and and the harvestability of it's going to be the most challenging part of it all.
1: And in what you could harvest now, there'll be a, a shortage of, of bin capacity, right? With those the damage to them.
5: A- absolutely, uh, local elevators, local farmer storage. I know uh, three or four farmers that we've talked to this morning, and and they've lost every. Every uh, bushel of capacity that they had on their operation for grain storage, uh, ranging from anywhere from 100,000 to half a million bushel worth of storage. Uh, A couple local elevators, three or four of them in the area, Slater, Iowa, Minburn, Luther, all had nice, big, beautiful grain storage facilities put up in the last four to five years, and they're devastated, knocked to the ground.
1: That's Travis Miller. He farms near Perry, Iowa. Yeah. Let's go now to Lance Littlebridge. Travis stay with us. Lance Littlebridge is with us, uh, who farms near Vinton, Iowa. Lance, uh, give us a report from your area. What are you seeing?
0: Sure, Mike. Uh, I wanted to say that um, crafts are completely displaced. Uh, I'm not sure how they're harvestable. Life's seems
1: yeah, Lance, you're cutting in and out of, on us, and I know you don't have much cell signal there, and part of it is because of the damage that's been done. We're going to try to get a stronger signal from you. Uh, but, Travis, that's another part of this uh, uh, communication. I, I'm cell towers and things like that, I'm sure, are damaged. That's correct. Lance, are you there?
5: Yes. Yeah,
0: can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, you're a little better now. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, we've got cell towers down. And, uh, several radio stations and TV stations are not up and running. They're they're down as well. And uh, like I say, we've we've got total devastation here: grain uh, bins, elevators, livestock facilities, homes uh,
1: destroyed. What? Tell us about some of those structures that you've seen. And how extensive is that damage?
0: Um, well, I've got a, a friend of ours who uh, built a brand-new shop, and, and with a home in it, and it's gone. It's literally gone. There's nothing left of it. Um, grain, new grain bins, they're gone. They're down. Uh, there's steel everywhere in all the fields. The debris is really, really, really bad. Uh, trees are down. We've spent several hours uh, cutting trees on gravel roads and driveways just to help people get in and out. Uh, power lines are down. I've got a brother in Davenport, Iowa, and he has no power. They're saying it's going to be two to seven days. So this thing goes clear to the Mississippi.
1: And so it's going to be a while to assess all that damage and obviously a long road to recovery. Uh, uh, I want to thank both of you for being with us, Travis Miller near Perry, Iowa, Lance Lillibridge near Vinton, Iowa, Uh, Our hearts go out to you and everyone that's been impacted by this storm, and we wish you the very best in this recovery. Thanks, guys, for being with us and giving us reports from the ground in your areas. Thank you very much.
5: Thanks, Mike. Yep, thank you. God bless everybody.
1: All right, so, yeah, the damage, it's going to take a while to assess all this uh, and even longer to recover from uh, the storms that moved through yesterday and last night and into this morning. All right, coming up next, what's going on out at the bike rally in Sturgis, South Dakota? And a big rally for ethanol. We'll talk about that with Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association. That's next on AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams
1: on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's go to Sturgis, South Dakota. The big bike rally underway. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association is there. Robert, how are things going?
6: Good, Mike. Good morning to you. How um,
1: how are your events going? You're there promoting ethanol. I know you always have some special events. How are they How are they going?
6: Good, good. We um, you know we were sponsored to Legends Ride, which is a charitable. Ride that supports the Black Hills Special Olympics and the Surges Motorcycle Museum. So that took place yesterday. Uh, we were masked up and temperature checked on to do our onstage promotions last night. And today we're doing our socially distant free fuel happy hours today, tomorrow, and and Thursday, where we go three hours and give away 93 octane E10 to any motorcycle that wants to fill up.
1: It's been uh, you've been there a number of years, and I think you're quite a part of the uh, the rally now. And I know when you first went there, it probably felt like maybe going into enemy territory a little bit, and and that there was such uh, animosity in some cases, or at least suspicion uh, in the biker community about the use of ethanol in, in motorcycles. Do you think you've been able to turn that perception around over the years there?
6: I do, and and that's that's part of why it's uh, such a privilege to be out here representing, you know, farmers and of course the ethanol industry. We've we've definitely seen a change. We've we've turned, you know, normal bikers into advocates from our activities out here and especially the free fuel. Uh last night was a good example. I'm standing outside one of the gates waiting on uh, our former interns to show up and, and help us pump some fuel. And the guy comes up to me, and he was not friendly. And I knew, knew that was not going to change. But last night, we were sitting in one of our ethanol tents uh, out by our campers. And the gentleman came up and had questions for 20 minutes. So it's it's important. And what we're trying to do is not necessarily move the small volume of gallons that go through motorcycles, but when they get home and get in their cars and trucks and SUVs, that's the gallons you're asking. And if they're comfortable with putting in their – motorcycles which is typically one of the most prized possessions they'll definitely put it in their vehicles
1: so what kind of questions do you still get from uh those uh, motorcycle riders when it comes to ethanol and any concerns that they have
6: well there's a lot of people that don't know they're already using it i mean we we always have someone from california who's had no choice since so five uh to, to put ethanol in their bikes they come up i don't know we've never used it before and it's some of those labeling laws, you know, we have 16 states that don't require E10 to be labeled, and so they simply don't know, and it's, you know, very simple. Uh, one of the things we broke out uh, three or four years ago is we have the warranty statements, the fuel warranty statements from every owner's manual on a placard that we put up at the gas pump, so they come up and say, hey, what does the Yamaha say? What does Harley-Davidson say? We can walk right over and give them the quote right out of the book, and that helped a great deal because I understand, you know... Not everyone wants to take Robert White's advice or opinion. That's fine, but how about the motorcycle manufacturer? If they built, engineered, and warranted your bike for that fuel, it should be good to go.
1: I know you've reached out. Uh, the ethno industry has reached out to motorcycle riders. That's why you're at Sturgis. You you do a lot with uh, uh, fishermen and to talk with boaters. So uh, you, you've been very proactive in those areas.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's the kind of the off-road segment the small engine segment is about three percent of the total fuel volume but they all own cars they all all own you know a different type of engine at home and so that that's really what we're trying to do we're trying to use these these venues where we can you know reach the masses at in at, at one one time and really hope change the narrative we know that 20 percent love us 20 percent hate us and we're just going for that 60 percent and their trade association has been very vocal and very supportive of the petroleum industry and we just want to share the facts and as you know mike the uh, one good thing about the ethanol industry we're never short of those uh
1: so the reports are the crowd is pretty close to what it was last year maybe down just a little bit but pretty similar uh, what what do you uh, f- what's the feel there you know during this uh, pandemic uh, what's the mood the attitude what are you hearing in conversation
6: Oh, uh, i mean you're, you you do see some people that are you know, taking it more serious than others. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we've, uh, the crowd is equal probably to last year. I'm uh, surprised by that for sure. Uh, We've changed everything we do out here. Uh, Like last night, we went to go on stage. And I mean, you're completely socially distant when you're up on stage, but we were masked. Masks were required. They checked our temperature before they'd even let us back there. I mean, it, it's it kind of ebbs and flows on on the, the seriousness of what's going on, but uh, there's there's some political points being made out here for sure. Um, but nonetheless, so we're taking it serious. Uh, none of us want it want to take it home, and uh, just personally, my wife kicked me out of the house for two weeks when I get home. So uh, we know it's real, and and we're doing our best to to support.
1: All right, kind of give us uh, your schedule the rest of the week there. What will you be doing to promote ethanol?
6: Sure, we'll be today, tomorrow, and Thursday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. We do our free fuel happy hours. Usually easy the afternoon, we uh, blow up beach balls and, and kick those out for the concert goers uh, and make our announcements on stage and kind of uh, make sure all our displays are still up and running, but we'll, we'll be busy and head home Friday. How's the weather? weather's actually warm <laughs> uh, we we uh, you can year to year you can have a 20 degree swing yesterday morning it might have cracked the 40s and today it's probably going to hit 90 so it's it's a warm one this year and and uh, we just missed a storm by a couple miles this morning but we could use a little rain out here
1: all right Robert uh, thanks for the report uh, stay safe and uh, keep up the good work and have a good rest of the week there at the rally thanks Mike take care All right, always good to talk with you, Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association in Sturgis, South Dakota at the bike rally. He's there each year promoting ethanol. All right, with that, we'll wrap it up for today. Again, uh, we'll have much more coming up tomorrow on uh, the storms that have moved through the Midwest and uh, the damage that have been left uh, in the wake of those storms. And again, our Our thoughts and prayers with everyone that's been impacted by those storms. We'll continue to look at that situation and what's going on, or should we say not going on in Washington, D.C., when it comes to any more assistance, uh, as there seem to be a complete stalemate now, more roadblocks uh, in trying to get something worked out. But we'll keep you up to date. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.